From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with my friend and colleague, Adam Turnquist. Uh, Adam, uh, how are you today? Happy, hey, good, af- good afternoon. Today. Thanks for having me on again. Exciting day here with the approaching mid-year outlook from LPL Research. So look forward to talking about that today. Yes. By the time you hear this, you will have already seen the meteor outlook. It will already be out. So yes, an exciting day indeed. We'll start with these wonderful disclosures and then uh, get into the publication. Some of you uh, may have seen this on social media as we tried to create a little hype around the publication. Uh, it is Monday, July 10th in the afternoon as we record this. Uh, but the uh, the publication will be out the morning of July 11th. So we're really, really excited in LPL Research uh, to bring this uh, to all of you. Again, as we've been doing for, boy, probably 15 years now. Uh, proud to say I've been a part of all of them. 30, probably 30 full years and mid-years uh, since we started doing this. Um, so we're just going to run through this high-level story. You're going to have you know, an equity strategist and a market technician going outside their lane, <laughs> right? We're going to talk economy. We're going to talk fixed income. We're going to, you know, do some currencies and commodities, right? So there's a little bit of, um, you know, um, we'll call it discomfort with telling these stories, but we've certainly heard them from our subject matter expert colleagues a number of times. We've certainly read the publication many times, so we'll try to do it justice. So let's start with the economy. The section we've titled A Moving Pendulum in a Stable Financial System. So here are our updated uh, economic forecasts. I think um, I think a couple things to point out here. You know, number one, all of the forecasts for GDP by region, US Eurozone, advanced economies, EM, and global, have gone up since our full year outlook was released in. Uh, November of last year. That's first point. So the economy, not just the U.S., but globally has outperformed. But at the same time, all these CPI forecasts uh, have increased as well. Uh, the U.S. Uh, for um, you know December 2023 over 22, we think maybe a little under 4%. A lot of progress has been made, but that's uh, still certainly on the high side. But we've got even higher inflation uh, around the re- rest of the world. So we still have a global inflation challenge. We're working through it, moving in the right direction. That will be a key to determining where the markets go in the second half. Uh, but um, you know, the good news here is that GDP growth looks a little better than we think it did at the start of the year. Um, I'll go through these next few charts, Adam, and then I'll, le- I'll let you chime in. So um, here is a look at, uh, well, frankly, two data series, right? Payrolls. This doesn't include the payroll number we got late last week, but payroll trends, right? Jobs have been slowing, not dramatically, but jobs have been slowing. And that has been correlated with the NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Business, hiring intentions. So you ask small businesses, are they going to hire more or hire less? That has been a leading indicator of future job growth. Of course, small businesses are a big piece of job growth uh, in this country. And what this tells you is uh, the job market is cooling. That is what the Fed wants. uh, But at the same time, that is what we think will eventually 
tip us over into a very mild and short-lived recession, maybe starting by the end of this year. So if we have a recession, we think the job market cooling is going to be a big reason why. Uh, turning to the inflation piece, uh, this chart shows multifamily construction and single-family construction, right? So, you know, individual homes. Uh, and what you see here is that multifamily construction has actually been quite strong. And that's good for the inflation picture because it takes pressure off of rents, right? More supply tends to bring prices down. We're also seeing with new leases that prices are down. Uh, and that tells you that the official data on rents, you know, for example, what goes into the CPI this week, over the next several months, that data will cool. So we still think we're in this downward trajectory for inflation. And, uh, you know, we'll get a three handle by the end of the year, even though we're still looking at five, roughly, um, by most measures still at this point. Um, you know, next, um, you know, so you saw on the previous slide, we expect about a 1% GDP growth figure this year. But that's really from the first half, right? Front end loaded uh, economic growth. So we're going to see, you know, cooler numbers in the second half, maybe a slight contraction, but still the first half was strong enough to get us to a 1% or so growth number for the, for the full year. Uh, the key to the resilience here is going to be services, right? We had a massive spike in good spending while we had pent up demand for services spending. So you see here in this chart, services spending hasn't reached its prior peak in terms of share of the economy. Those of you who have flown on an airplane recently know that there are still there's still pent up demand for travel, as an example. Uh, so we're you know maybe through most of that, but there's still a little bit left. So we'll get some some services spending, you know, in the second half, maybe offset a little bit of weakness uh, potentially in the goods side, and you'll end up with just kind of a let's call it a stall, an economic stall in the second half. So. Anything there you want to uh, add color on, uh, Adam? Um, hopefully I captured that pretty well. Yeah, it's, no, I, th I think you got the story. Certainly relates to my own personal anecdotes in terms of spending. You know, I seem to be spending more on restaurants and going out, enjoying those things, and not a lot of Amazon packages at the door. I still have the tendency when I walk outside just to look to make sure there's no Amazon packages because I was so used to that during you know that pandemic era but that spending has, has certainly shifted there not sure if it's the same same for your household but certainly the case here oh no doubt maybe the difference from my household is it hasn't slowed down as much as <laughs> maybe this chart would suggest uh with uh you know good spending fading that's the orange line and then services spending uh you know picking up but but still not quite um you know back to pre-pandemic levels so or, you know, I don't know, call it the seventh or eighth inning on that um, on that trend. So, um, you know, that's a quick uh, overview on the economy. It's not a great outlook, um, but we also recognize that, you know, maybe we're being a little bit too conservative. There's a possibility, certainly, that we have a soft landing. Uh, you'll see percentage odds on that here in a little bit as we get through the equity section. Uh, certainly, the recent data suggests that there's a better chance of a soft landing than we thought at the beginning of the year. Uh, but our, our view in LPL research is that it's just delayed, that mild recession is delayed, but it still comes. So um, 
Here's the equity section. We titled it Weight of Evidence Points to Modest Gains. This is where, you know, we've got this kind of, um, you know, continuation of a balanced theme, right? We were we were looking for, for a way to find balance in our outlook uh, for the full year. And now we're talking about the path to stability. So you see some of these, you know, plays on that that theme throughout the publication. So weight of evidence po points to modest gains. Frankly, when we lock this in, uh, stocks are a little bit lower <laughs> than they are now, uh, but we still see modest gains uh, in the second half. And here's another place where, you know, we've kept our price target range of, um, you know, at the high end, 4,400 on the S&P 500, but that's just a fair value range, 4,300 to 4,400. It's not a point forecast for the end of the year, and stocks can trade above fair value for, you know, a period of certainly several months, if not longer. So, uh, Adam, I'll let you walk through uh, this table. There, there's certainly a lot here, a lot of good stuff here. But I, I think it's going to paint a picture, folks, that suggests that maybe just modest upside is the base case. But, you know, there's certainly the possibility that uh, stocks uh, do even a little bit better in the second half. Yeah, I like that framework in terms of the base case being modest. And this table really supports that weight of the evidence approach in terms of a, a really compelling case for a solid year. We looked at a de several different indicators for the market. You know, if you go back to the beginning of the year, we we're obviously lower uh, coming in. You know, 2022 is a down year. When you look at years following a down year, they're pretty rare. There's only been a few occurrences over the last 80 years. So your average gain coming off a down year is 15%. You're positive 84% of the time, as the table shows. Then we also move through January. We hit that trifecta. That means we had the Santa Claus rally period positive. First five days of January were positive. And then the month of January, also positive. So that's the trifecta. You can see annual gains there, 17.4%. 90% of the time when you hit that trifecta, you're also higher. Midterm election years are seasonally strong years. Average gains there for on an annual basis at 17%. Obviously, we're in that midterm election year now. And then we also entered a new bull market. Even all that pessimism that we heard about in the beginning of the year, the market climbed the wall of worry, cleared that 20% threshold off the October lows. And we back tested that as well. So once you hit that 20% threshold, the average gain 12 months later is 18.9%. And you're higher 92% of the time as well. So again, pretty compelling evidence. We didn't include everything. We had to kind of cut this short to keep it on a page. But, you know, even after a Fed pause, the market's higher, I think, right around 10%. 12 months later, when you're positive in the first half, the market's higher. In the second half, right around, uh, I think it's 6% in the second half. So there's a lot of evidence pointing to a, a strong year overall. But that goes back to that modest part of the segment because if you look at some of these average gains you know 15% years following a down year we're almost there already on the S&P 500 i think we were talking earlier for year to date performance i think the S&P's up right around 14 to 15% technically i think you can see modest gains right now from a from a pure technical perspective you know we we're extremely overbought last month especially with the technology sector starting to see evidence of that sector cooling off a little bit some of that momentum is pulling back a little bit, and that's a 33% weight within the S&P 500. So those are some pretty big shoes to fill for other sectors to come in and support 
the trajectory of this market right now. So certainly could see a potential for a, a pause or a pullback, at least on a near-term basis. But overall, when you look at it on a, a yearly basis, um, certainly uh, uh, you know the weight of the evidence certainly su suggests we're in for a pretty strong year this year. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, it feels like a, a booming year, right? But remember, we're we're still not all that close from last year's high, right? And and we are kind of following this playbook. I mean, it's I don't think it's any coincidence that these indicators point to mid to high teens gains, and that's that's what we're on track for. Yeah, so, and one one stat to throw in the mix is just the average drawdown during the year. You know, right now for the S and P, we've only had a drawdown of around eight percent for the year. On any given year, the average drawdown or max drawdown is about 14%. And so, you, you know, a pullback or a correction within a bull market is completely normal. Wouldn't be surprised to see that in the second half as well. I think the good news would be that would most likely be a buying opportunity for investors that missed this first half rally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we write in the outlook that um, there's certainly a bull case as investors look through whatever recession we're going to get, or if we're, I mean, maybe we don't get one at all, but whatever it is, people look through this period and, and toward the end of the year, markets are going to be trading on, you know, an economy in mid 2024. That could look quite a bit better. We could remove this uncertainty that we have right now about recession that everybody's focused on. And, um, you know, that could be your path to stability, right? The, the sort of just, Getting the point where we can price this in. Maybe we've priced in some recovery, but but we would argue not not a full recovery. And earnings are still uh, a little bit depressed. We'll we'll do more on earnings here um, in, in a bit. But th this table, I believe every chart we have here is actually in the publication. Uh, so um, you know this table will certainly be there. And as you mentioned, Adam, there's certainly a number of other studies that you could look at that would tell a similar story that. You know, this is a real bull market and it probably has a little bit more upside. Uh, we, we are still neutral equities, um, our investment committee. And, the you know, the biggest reason why is because bond yields have, have moved up so much and fixed income actually offers pretty attractive returns uh, as attractive, you know, as as we've seen in decades. So um, this chart puts the valuations for equities in the context of fixed income. So you convert the price to earnings ratio for the S&P 500 into an earnings yield. You just take the inverse of price to earnings and make earnings to price. And that's the equivalent to a yield for bonds, right? The income over price. Uh, and so, you know, when you compare those two uh, statistics, you get what's called an, an equity risk premium uh, right now, that equity risk premium is about 1%. So in a sense, you could say that you're getting paid a percent to take on the additional risk with equities that you would, you know, relative to what you would have to pay for bond risk, right? For bond income. Well, common sense would tell you that that's not a great deal, right? That 1% isn't really a, much extra earnings uh, to get for taking on uh, equity risk. So, you know, what this says is this, Stocks relative to bonds are pretty average, right? Long-term average, but down stocks are not as attractively valued as they've been in recent years relative to bonds because yields have moved up. You know, as we're recording this, the 10-year yield is pretty close to uh, 4%. So, 
Um, another reason to stay neutral. So um, turning to earnings, and this is where you know I alluded to the, you know, the odds of a soft landing here. Uh, frankly, in the last several months, our odds of a mild recession have gone up a bit. But I think it's fair to say in the last few weeks, maybe they've gone down a bit. So let's call it two thirds, roughly, odds of a recession starting at some point in 2023. Uh, we think in that scenario, you know, it would start so late in the year, it wouldn't affect earnings too much. In that scenario, we think we could do $212 in S&P 500 earnings, but there's a little bit of an upside case and a downside case. So we probability weight that just to show that it could go uh, in either of these other two directions and you end up with 213. So that's no change. You know, even though we raised our GDP forecast slightly, that's kind of old news. Uh, and even though inflation expectations are up a bit. Um, there's really no change in in how we assess uh, corporate profits uh, for 2023. Now we are um, just about ready to start earnings season. This will probably be the trough. Expectations based on consensus are for a seven percent decline. We think we'll probably do three or four points better than that when all earnings are in. But the key will be the second half, right? Do estimates drop much for the second half? And, and that'll certainly, um, the guidance that corporate America provides will, will also go a long way in determining the near-term direction uh, for the markets, especially, you know, and Adam, you mentioned big tech, right? Those tech names are expensive. And so to put it simply, we're just going to need to see good earnings out of those companies to keep those stocks up where they're at. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, even with a low bar coming in, that's been kind of the theme for earnings season this year, you know, very low bars. You mentioned seven percent expected earnings decline. We come in beat and raise, but I think that bar is getting a little bit harder to beat in terms of the expectations. That's what it all comes down to. I think most most analysts know that we'll we'll come in a little bit better than that. So we'll need to see incrementally better earnings than even some of the whisper numbers of you know maybe we're down three or four percent. And then tech alone, the the valuations there. I think you're. Last time I looked, you were close to a two standard deviation above the 10-year average uh, in terms of the forward PE. So those are hard multiples to justify, especially when you look at what's going on in interest rates over the last couple of weeks. So. Yeah, and you hit on the reason why we're neutral tech and not more positive. That still gets you a lot of tech, as you mentioned, because it's you know 30% or so of the market. But uh, frankly, it's just uncomfortable uh, valuation to put new money to work here. So we think neutral's right. We'll wait for um, a fatter pitch, as they say. So um, let, let's turn to bonds. And, uh, you know, I'm an equity guy, so I always say I'm not going to spend a ton of time on bonds. But, but you know, actually, they're as interesting as they've been in quite some time, even, even for an equity guy or Adam, in your case, uh, a market technician. So, um, you know, Lawrence Gillum, our chief fixed income strategist, Title the section balancing opportunities with objectives. Um, I think that speaks to the dual roles that the bonds play, right? Now they're generating some decent income. So they're attractive from that perspective, but they also can diversify your equity risk and cushion the blow if we do have a, a pullback or a correction. Um, so, you know, we've grown increasingly comfortable with bonds here uh, this year as yields have come up. You know, the, we say it all the time, but the, the best predictor of future returns for a bond is its yield. And, you know, short-term bonds at 5%, that's certainly a higher hurdle for stocks uh, to clear here. 
one of the reasons to be comfortable with fixed income is because historically, when the Fed stops raising rates, bond yields have fallen. So we actually have two charts in here, one for the two-year Treasury yield, and then the next one you'll see is for the 10-year. Uh, but the story is the same. At the ends of these last five rate hiking cycles, uh, yields have fallen over the next you know, six to 12 months. So you know, not only do we think we're going to get the yield, the starting yield for bonds as income, we actually could get a little bit better uh, than that if yields fall consistent with history. Now, we don't know when the Fed's going to stop. It could be July, could be a little later, uh, but we're pretty sure they're going to stop soon, and that um, you know that will lead to you know range-bound or falling yields over the next six months and into 2024. Uh, so as promised, here's the 10-year yield again. Same story. You know, 2006, you um, you know you didn't really get a, as much of a move lower in yields over the 12 months. That's the orange line, but th the others you did. So we just think you know, the weight of the evidence suggests yields uh, can go down. Now, of course, falling inflation is going to help too. Again, you know, probably have a three handle, maybe mid threes by the end of the year and then lower in 2024. Certainly lower rent inflation is part of that, but that's not the whole story. The job market is going to slow, we think. Wage pressures will will abate, we think. Uh, and you'll end up with, um, you know, still a modest growth economy. And, uh, and and that should lead to lower yields. So, um, you know, what does that mean for bonds? Um, before I kick it back over to you, Adam, just show this slide. Core bonds tend to do very well during Fed pauses. So after the Fed is done, and whether that's, you know, July or, or, or September, we think the odds favor one of those two. Uh, you see here, these are the gains historically coming out of these pauses uh, over the past several decades. And you see some really good 12-month returns for bonds. Now, <laughs> you can't compare this period to the early 80s, right, when yields were, you know, high teens. Uh, certainly, we're not going to see 24% returns for bonds. The math doesn't work. <laughs> but if you look at some of these more recent periods, you know, high single digits or low double digits are not out of the question, right? Especially if we do get a modest mild short-lived recession later this year, early 2024, uh, and um, and yields come down. So, I mean, of course, it depends on what happens with the credit markets because there's credit in the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index. But, you know, Adam, we could potentially get a really solid six to 12 months uh, in, in the bond market. Yeah, these look more like equity market returns, to yeah. be honest. It's pretty impressive. And certainly, I think timely from a mid-year outlook perspective in terms of our call for, you know, going into core bonds technically as well. When you look at even the, the two-year treasury, for example, you're right up near the March highs, you have not cleared those March highs. So maybe maybe a potential double top forming on that two-year. So we think it's definitely time to lock in some of those higher interest rates as you know, the charts on the previous two pages show they're not going to be around forever if we do get that Fed pause. At least that's what history is telling us. Yeah, that's a, a great point um, that we have in the Outlook publication as well, that, you know, we don't just plow into bonds at any maturity and, and say we're going to get 5%, right? You got to think about the reinvestment risk if you go too short, right? And so, um, you know, maybe... Maybe three-month T-bills aren't the best answer. Maybe you want to be more in the, the belly of the curve, right? Intermediate-term bonds. 
uh, and that way you you know you don't have to worry about reinvestment risk uh, over the next several months when you may end up with with lower rates. So another uh, a good point, Adam, and, and one that we we highlight in the Outlook publication. Uh, the the last chart here we have for fixed income. Uh, just shows you the sectors, right? Um, I mean, we didn't cover sectors for the equities, but we still like industrials. The, um, you know, I think the message here is that yields are really attractive relative to the last, call it 13 years, um, not just in core bonds in general, but really across the spectrum, right? So that's what these diamonds here represent. Uh, these are uh, the current yields based on the yield to worst calculation. The current yields for all of these different bond sectors, right from the higher yielding areas, uh, bank loans, high yield bonds, the aggregate preferred, right? Some of the credit sectors still yields very high uh, relative to this recent history. Uh, and then it's the same for the high quality stuff, right? Whether it's treasuries, municipals, um, you know, EM, EM is not high quality, but you know what, whether you look high quality or core, we call, or I'm sorry, what plus sectors, which are more credit sensitive, core, more higher quality conservative sectors, regardless of where you look, you've got really attractive yields uh, relative to history. So anything here, um, Adam, jump out at you. Uh, um, I, I'll just add to what Lauren Skillam has talked about in terms of going into those plus sectors. You can see the incremental yield pickup is relatively, I would say, relatively minimal for the credit risk. So we think you can capture pretty attractive yields by sticking in those core sectors without taking on that credit risk right now. So kind of a unique opportunity, I think, at the credit level. Yeah, good point. It, it's similar to the, the yield question, right? Are you getting paid to take interest rate risk? Are you getting paid to take credit risk? Are you getting paid to take equity risk? Frankly, in general, uh, we don't think so. So we still recommend folks keep their bond portfolios pretty conservative. Again, you know, take these attractive yields, but also get some protection against potential equity market volatility, because we do think, and this isn't going out on a limb, <laughs> we do think we're going to get more equity volatility in the second half than we got in the first half. I think that's it's fair to say that's probably a consensus view at this point because we got very low volatility uh, in the first half. So those bonds can provide um, a nice cushion and we wouldn't take too much risk. We do like preferreds. Uh, certainly we think you're getting uh, more of a discount than maybe you should based on the regional bank stress, you know, coming out of those March bank failures. So we still think that that area looks interesting and worth maybe taking uh, some credit risk. But in general, uh, we're keeping our uh, bond portfolios uh, up in quality. So um, that's probably the longest I've ever talked on on bonds, Adam. So <laughs> maybe <laughs> set a new record. Uh, <laughs> let's close with commodities and currencies. Uh, we, actually, we really don't have com a commodities chart in here, but in the publication, we just didn't want to go too long. But in the publication, we do have uh, a commodities chart. And you know, certainly you watch the the precious metals and industrial metals complexes uh, closely. So um, we got a couple of charts on currency on the dollar. Uh, and then maybe you can also make some some brief comments about commodities as well, Adam. Yeah, we'll we'll start with the dollar as that really shapes the commodity landscape. And, you know, the dollar has been in the headlines all year. Part of it's just the volatility in the dollar. We, we think risk is to the downside. Technically, 
at least we've seen some of that momentum from last year roll over. The trend has been violated. So we do see um, some a potentially weaker dollar. That should bode well for U.S. equity markets. They're negatively correlated to the greenback. But the other headline is just over the dollar you know, losing its world reserve currency status. And we've been out with a couple publications now, and I think you've talked about it even on, on your Market Signals podcast, that a lot of those headlines are greatly exaggerated. And I think this chart shows one of the reasons why we think that it's still the currency of choice. You can see here, the dollar accounts for 90% of all global foreign, global foreign currency transactions Runner-up to that is the euro. Not even half of the amount of global FX transactions are in the euro. So we don't see any risk to the dollar losing that reserve status. You can see um, it, it clearly dominates in terms of its use as a, a foreign currency here. Yeah, and, and this is out of 200% because currency transactions go two directions, right? So Yeah, good, good but point. But still, almost half. And the key point here is way more than any other currency. And it, I think it's also interesting that the U.S. share hasn't really changed over. Right. This yeah, it's, it's been pretty stable over the years. I mean, it's you can see on the 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 blue bar that stands out. It's it's you know eighty five to ninety plus percent going back to you know the last twenty plus years. Yes, absolutely. So the reports of the demise of King Dollar are exaggerated. Um, we have another chart on the dollar here, Adam. This. I mean, maybe tells a little bit of a different story. Um, yeah, and I, I think this helps feed that narrative. But if you think about it in a macro world, you know, this is looking at the percentage of, of the dollar that's held in reserves uh, around the world at other foreign central banks. And if you think what happened last year, the dollar basically went parabolic. So a lot of those central banks outside of the U.S., they had to dip into their reserves and defend their own currency just to stabilize it against a rising dollar. So that's weighed on overall foreign exchange reserves held in the dollar. And then there's also been an allocation toward gold. That's another developing theme this year. A lot of central banks are buying gold to basically move some of their currency or their foreign reserves away from the dollar and into gold. China has been one of those uh, countries. They've added gold for seven straight months after being out of the market for a few years. So continued buying pressure from some of the central banks. But again, still think the, the dollar is going to be here to stay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, 100%. So, you know, it makes sense in this geopolitical environment for particularly China and Russia to uh, diversify away from the dollar. Um, so it's, it's, it's no surprise but as you saw on the previous slide, that you know the U.S. is not going to lose its global leadership uh, in in dollar transactions anytime soon. I mean, these are you probably don't even need to talk about it in decades. It's probably something to talk about in terms of centuries, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, not a, not in my lifetime at least. Maybe yeah, most, but I, 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 I doubt that. I think that's fair. So um, there's a section on. Um, this concept in the um, in the Outlook publication, uh, and then again they, on commodities. So um, you know, precious metals uh, have certainly done better than industrial metals. Uh, you know, in recent months, Adam, anything you're seeing on the charts there that that people should think about? Yeah, I mean the the for example, um, gold or silver, some of the industrial metals. You know, they had significant rallies beginning of the year as the dollar pulled back. Um, now we've seen some of those those 
precious metals actually pull back and start violating uptrends, still outperforming, depending on the look back period, but I think year to date, they're still outperforming um, industrial metals. What's interesting, for example, with, with copper, um, one of the industrial metals, that space, is it's starting to hold up a little bit better. I think there's some hope for China's reopening to gain some momentum. Haven't seen enough evidence there yet. So we certainly continue to like precious metals right now. We think, you know, maybe this is just a pullback within a longer term uptrend. And, and that's technically how we're viewing it. Great. Um, so the, I think we've covered all the sections except one. So we, we didn't include um, alternative investments charts, but we do have a section on alternative investments in the publication as well. And we do think those can make sense uh, as um, diversifiers in uh, portfolios of, of, of equities and, and fixed income. So, um, so check that out as well. We don't want to shortchange it and wanted to make sure that I, uh, I mentioned it. So um, I guess uh, I think we covered it all, Adam. Anything you can think of that I left out before we close? Now, just for our advisors, we'll have our mid-year outlook call on Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I believe. So quick plug for that. Yes. You, well, you're all hearing this story now. Um, we think hearing it from all of the individual authors will probably be better for, for um, advisors. <laughs> so so uh, keep, keep that in mind. Uh, the publication, I mean, we're blasting this thing all over social media, as we always do. But um, you can also find it on LPL.com. Should be on the front page. Uh, but um, if you don't see it on the front page, then you can go into the newsroom section there uh, and, and get it there, certainly available for the public and where um, you can dig deeper into the stuff. We just gave you a little bit of a taste here in about a half an hour, but much more in that uh, publication. So um, check that out. Hopefully uh, you enjoy it. And um, certainly glad we were able to bring it to you here on uh, on the Market Signals podcast. So with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Really appreciate uh, your support uh, of our podcast, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate
separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.